to Battle Red Radio. I'm Matt Weston. This evening, I'm joined by the biggest, the fattest, and most of all, the drunkest on them all, our good pal BFD. How are you doing tonight, man? Woo! Here we are. Yeah. Opening, opening night, baby. Tomorrow night. Yeah. It's uh, not only been a long time since the Texans have played football, but also it's been a while since we last talked. And last time we talked, it was kind of on sad circumstances where we discussed the Oilers lost the Buffalo Bills, and as a connection, like now we're like connected, uh, the the Gen Xers and the Boomer fans with the the Millennials and whatever you call the people below me, uh, because we both experienced some epic playoff collapse, and so now we're coming back to it again with the Texans playing the Kansas City Chiefs Thursday night football week one opening night. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I I'm excited for it, but. Yeah, as you'll listen here, there there's a lot of reasons why. Like as a Texans fan, and if your your life is better than the Texans win, you may not have a very good life Friday morning. Uh, but before we start talking about this game specifically, I had a couple of like quick questions for you about the Texans overall 2020 season and what you're kind of expecting from them this year. Uh, the first question I have for you is: Do you think the Texans got better this offseason? I don't. You know, I, I realize there's a lot of excitement between, you know, after drafting or I mean, trading DeAndre Hopkins for uh, David Johnson. A lot of people looking at David Johnson, but he has not been a good running back for a couple of years. And he was marginal even in his be- at his best. He's a good pass catcher out of the backfield. We already have a great pass catcher of the backfield, Duke Johnson. So that trade was beyond disappointing. Um I don't think we did a whole lot on the defensive side on the ball. We certainly didn't help the secondary, which needed a lot of help. Uh, Blacklock and and uh, Jonathan uh, Greenard are going to be fine, but not this year. And mm-hmm. I, I still think both their ceilings are low. It, it does sound like we're using Blacklock in order to uh, one gap, which would be his strength rather than what he was asked to do with Baylor was to do a little bit of everything. And he sucked at some of it. So and then we lost DJ Reader. So, I, you know, look, we gave Zach Cunningham a huge contract. He probably deserved it. Great. The Merciless contract is going to come back and haunt us. Putting Brandon Cooks and David Johnson in place of DeAndre Hopkins is not a good deal. Um, I I don't think we got better. Mm-hmm. Um, how many games do you think J.J. Watt plays this season? Because out of the last four years, he suffered three regular season-ending injuries. Your last three tours back to and came back against Buffalo. Uh, but how many games are you expecting out of him this season? Well, and all these are going to be trick questions, right? Because what's going to happen with the COVIDs? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, I, I don't – look, I'm number one, I'm surprised we were playing football. I, I did not think we were. And mm-hmm. I, I think that once – I think there's the potential for some bad stuff because if you haven't been keeping up, if, if you get COVID, there's like a 25% chance you have extremely terrible long-term lung damage. So, you know, this is really, it's really bad stuff. And, and if it starts ripping apart athletes, I think you're going to see a lot of guys opting out pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but let's say we're playing a normal season. I'm going to go eight okay. for JJ Watt. I just, you know, 
he's I think he's the wrong side of 30 at this point of his career. It's it's you know, he's he's kind of there. He's kind of hitting that back end of his career. It's time to protect him a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. I know he's 31 this season. Uh, and then lastly, what's your season prediction for the 2020 Texans? Eight and eight. <laughs> Do you think they make the playoffs? No, I think they're going to go nine and seven. Uh, I think they make the playoffs. I think they sneak sneak in at a low uh, wild card seed. I think the BESFs are, are just a markedly better team at this mm-hmm. point. Um, so um, uh, I do think Deshaun Watson is, I, I mean, he's like three Mike Trouts on the team. He has mm-hmm. that much value. And so I think he gives us an extra couple of victories just with what he does and his magic. And that, you know, you can count on Bill O'Brien to lose a game on his bad, you know, poor game management. So I think they're in a nine and 17. I think that they're going to score a lot of points. Hopefully they're going to score a lot of points if they actually take advantage of the personnel that they've got on the roster. But that defense sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of feel the same way too. And I know my nickname for Watson now is the quaternity after spending all summer and, and spring reading about uh, just a wide variety of symbol symbols and everything else. And so I, I do agree. I think like they're probably going to go four and four, one score games or something like that this year. And the defense will limb down enough times that they can't be like 11 and five team or so. Cause again, the past defense is brutal. And yeah, I, I originally had them win the division nine, seven, but now the Titans have signed Jadavion Clowney. I kind of flipped them. So I have Tennessee winning the division being the four seed at like 10 and six. And then Houston being the number seven seed at nine and seven. And the Colts being, I guess the, the five seed at nine, seven, the six seed at nine, seven. Whatever it is, whatever, whatever, as and like it's kind of hard picking that sixth spot just because it's like, well, do you think Buffalo regress is playing against a tougher schedule? And then do you, how many games do you think Roethlisberger plays? You know what I mean? It's kind of between those two teams and like they didn't address the backup quarterback situation in Pittsburgh. So I don't know. That's it's really hard to kind of like figure out between those two teams at number six, you know? Yeah. And I think what we're going to see also is, is teams that have, young quarterbacks who didn't get the normal offseason are going to struggle a little bit more than they probably would have previously. I mean, I, I can't imagine Joe Burrows, for example, is going to be out coming out gangbusters because he, you know, he didn't get time with his people. He didn't get time with the playbook and the coaches, you know, mm-hmm. zoom meetings are great, but if you're an IT guy like me, they're just fine. But if you're a pro football player, a, that's a little bit more difficult. Yeah. And I kind of wonder too, like, you know, these guys who are you know, 21, 22, and I think Burrows 24, They've like grown up with technology. Maybe it's not that difficult for them to learn in that set of circumstances. But yeah, that's a, that's a good point as well, too. Um, but Houston doesn't have that problem necessarily, Watson. I do think it's it's a better chance for Houston to miss the playoffs and go 7-9 than it is for them to go like 11-5 and and 12-4 and and become like an AFC championship sort of contender, you know? I think that there's a better... If you want to look at a range of outcomes and probabilities, I think there's a great probability, probability of them you're missing the playoffs and breaking past that divisional round wall this year. Yeah, totally. And I think that you can put a lot of that on the, on the defense and we still don't Mm -hmm. know what Tim Kelly's going to bring us. I mean, we still don't know. Tim Kelly sat on Bill O'Brien's lap for years and established the run, established (laughs) the run, established the run. We've talked about it on the show. Is that what Tim Kelly's going to come out and do? Because if that's, if that's the game plan, then I don't, I I don't see many difference right now between Tim Tim Kelly and Bill O'Brien until Tim Kelly proves me wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of funny whenever, uh, say, describing as him sitting on his lap like that. And I, that's kind of where I'm at too. And my first question for you is, you know, with this offense, like the idea is this to be some super vertical, super cool, kill them all offense. And 
do you buy any credence into this? Like, what are you expecting from? Are you just kind of like, whenever the season starts, this is the thing that you're looking for immediately is what this Tim Kelly offense could possibly be. I can't imagine we're going to have that kind of offense. I can't. And the ultimate reason is because Bill O'Brien is by default, extremely, extremely conservative. He is risk adverse to an absolute max. I can't imagine he's going to let Tim Kelly go out there. And, and what we saw in 2019, he's going to go out there and expose the defense. He's going to go maybe score those field goals, you know, Fairbairn gets his field goals and it give the off the opposing offense a chance to do something. I don't see that happening a lot. I think they're going to try to prevent the defense from being on the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see what you mean. And that's what they did last year, that ball control offense where it's like our defense is bad. What Cornell did last year and did a really great job doing was creating a, a really good deep pass defense. But it's like, let's bend as much as possible, get them as few as drives as possible. And, you know, they won 10 games because of it. Um, the one thing that really kind of hurt my feelings this summer was, I don't know if you watched the Sean Watson, like coaches film thing with Kurt Warner's high waters and Brian Baldinger, but Deshaun Watson has this thing in it. He says, and I need to pull the audio and clip and send it to you. If you haven't seen it, but he's like, yeah, you know, our goal on first down is just get Carlos have the ball, get three yards and get ahead of the chains. And I'm like, God, you, you're brainwashed too. You're no better than the rest of them after spending, you know, three years in this uh, situation where it's like, you know, three years on first down is not a successful play. You're not ahead of the chains if you get three yards on first down. And giving Carlos Hyde the ball and getting three yards is like, I don't know, kind of the worst play you can run in that situation. And I don't know, like until I'm kind of the point where like, until I, I can see it all fitting, like I can see the skeleton of the offense being this like super cool vertical offense. But until I see it, I'm not going to believe it. You know, it's one of those things I'm just kind of like waiting until week one and early in the season, just kind of, you know, hoping that they kind of break this thing out that they that they talked about and kind of went all in on. Yeah, and and it, it goes back to um, when you see when you see all the the um, kudos that Tim Kelly is going to get, and I don't know what else you expect to see. I mean, you're gonna are you really mm-hmm. going to see Deshaun Watson going out there? Hey, Tim Kelly's a moron. No, you're not. You oh yeah, he's really bringing something new to the offense. Of course, that's what he's going to say, and. Until we see that in action, I'm just not believing it because I can't. It, it's those things when Deshaun Watson says something like that, got to get Carlos Hyde those three yard carries on first down and get ahead of the chains. He's 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 lost the plot. Yeah, I, it broke my heart completely. And also the things I've learned, too, from being alive for so long is that I uh, don't have like any expectations just lead to your feelings getting hurt. So right. yeah, ex- <laughs> expecting like this, like really cool, you know, great, like great show and turf offense is only going to lead to your know, misery and, and sadness and all that. Uh, but if this is true and like the Texans new identity is to be like a really great vertical passing attack, uh, is this really the best way to attack the Kansas city defense? <laughs> see, and that's, that's a great question. Uh, what are we going to see? Because the Kansas city defense from the first half of the season, the last, last half was, was pretty different. Um, I haven't looked up, do you know, Juan Thornhill's. Yeah. He's, he's out on play tomorrow. Reading? He's going to mm-hmm. play. Yeah. So I thought, I thought they had everybody healthy. Yeah. Um, is that their secondary is all of a sudden not bad. You had Tyron Matthew who played out of his skull the last half of the season. He was really mediocre the first half, but he, he was covering everybody the second half. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, but they're not going to get much, you know, they've got Chris Jones and, and uh, Clark to create, a pass rush, but their linebackers are still trash. I mean, that seems like that's our opportunity for matchups is to go against their, their linebackers. So 
again, it com- if, if Tim Kelly comes out and, and is really picking on those mismatches, which is at that second level for them, good things could happen. Yeah, yeah, I, and that's kind of the bizarre thing about this game, too. It's like, this is what I've been clamoring and contorting for for you know, the last, like, two, since, I guess, 17. It's like, this is how the offense should be, and they keep doing this ball control, you know, limit everything, offense. And but like that being said, like, against Kansas City, they were third last year in deep pass DVOA. Uh, or they were fourth. They were behind only Houston. Houston was third in deep pass DVOA. They were fourth. And, like, they won Thornhill back. And even, like, last year, um, I think it was Thorpe was the guy who replaced Thornhill. But, like, he was, like, a six-round pick who did a really good job filling in for him, too. And the deep pass defense was still really good. And now, with you take that experience, they have four guys who can play safety with Sorensen, Matthew, Thornhill. And uh, I'm blanking on the other guy's name. And, you know, who cares? Um, but so it's, like, it's one of those things where even though that's how you want to see this offense work, like, against Kansas City and Traverius Ward, and uh, Rashad Fenton, like they're good in the secondary. They play a wide variety of coverages. They're really good disguising things. And you know, Deshaun Watson can't, you know, assume anything at all. He can't like he has to make sure and see and check the safeties before he does anything because Matthew's really great at rolling over and Thornhill's really great at playing D middle. And you know, they do a bunch of kind of crazy and zany things back there too. And so, like you mentioned, the weakness of this defense is at the linebacker position. And so you're you're even though this is what's been hyped up all summer. Um, that's probably not the best way to play against the Kansas City Chiefs tomorrow night. Now, there was some reports that Brand Cooks was limited in practice. Nobody knows if he's going to play or not tomorrow. If he doesn't play, do you think that should make a big difference in their offensive game plan? Zero. They should be coming out. They, they should come out of the shoot tomorrow expecting to score 60 points. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's the hard thing about it, too. It's like, you, that, how do you do that? Well, you throw the ball downfield and very aggressive to score, you know, 49 points. And that's on the strengths of the Chiefs defense, too. And so I don't know. It's I, I think like the best case for Houston in this game is kind of going back to how they won that first matchup and then just like hoping and praying for some wonky things to occur um, to make up for it as well. But I know you mentioned you know, the linebacker group. What's the best matchup Houston has available to them in the passing attack whenever they play Kansas City? Duke Johnson. I mean, I think that's a pretty easy. You got You got to take it. And David Johnson. David Johnson's mm-hmm. great. Look, that's that's what's gonna. If you expect David Johnson to fill the Carlos Hyde role on a gapping it on first and second down, then your expectations are extremely poor, because that's not the kind of running back he is. In fact, I, I just don't even see him as being one of the top fifty running backs in the NFL at this stage of his career. But he's really good at catching the ball of the backfield. So that to me is using the Johnsons in order to create havoc. Look, just have them both in the backfield and make linebackers cover both of them and yeah. pick your and pick your poison. Mm-hmm. This is like old school Madden 20, you know, 2001 <laughs> type stuff. It's just, you know, throw your running backs in the flat that have speed and, and let them create havoc. Yeah. Well, that's what Kyle Shanahan does in San Francisco. I think their DVOA and like their two back offensive sets is like 43%. And that's including Kyle Juszczyk too. But uh, yeah, I completely agree. And like, I was going back and look at the numbers and I think, Duke Johnson had six catches in the two matchups against Kansas City last year, and he had that really great touchdown where every like every time they got to the 20-yard line, it's like, okay, uh, Duke Johnson, you're going to run an out route against the linebacker. And he caught, I think, like four touchdown passes off that. He had one against Damian Wilson last year, too. And I don't know why they only reserved that play last year for the red zone, but I think Houston really has their playbook compartmentalized. Uh, just based off like your know, section of the field, you know, and that every like right. every single time they hit the 20 yard line, you'd saw it. But yeah, I completely agree. I think that's the best matchup available to them. And getting both those guys against Damian Wilson, 
against Anthony Hitchens. Um, and their linebacker group is is the best way for them to attack this defense too. Yep. Agree. I mean, do you know anything well, I about said it? Of course I agree. I'm perfect. <laughs> but, I mean, what the hell else am I going to say about myself? Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, do you know anything about Willie Gay at all? Because he's the linebacker uh, from Mississippi State, the Chiefs drafted in the second round, and like after Bedarger McKinney and seeing all these monster defensive uh, defensive players come from Mississippi State, I wonder how much he plays in this game too. It'll be interesting. Again, I'm really curious to see how much um, how much some of these young guys are going to play. Because I, I don't know. Like I think uh, Hitchens is is right now. He's set to start over Gay. Yeah. And. I, I think they're going to go with the old veteran, especially against Deshaun Watson. You know, that's kind of my thought. That's going to be interesting to see. Mm-hmm. And they have Ben Yemen too, and he's awful as well. He's like watching Josie Jewell, just one of those you know, slow, like white guys who tackle well in college. You can't do, who can't run to tackles enough to be able to hit guys head on in the NFL. Um, the other thing too they did last year is they ran that stupid. Well, I guess it wasn't stupid. It was a good offense against. I was just thinking about you know back to the Baltimore game against Buffalo when it didn't work at all. But that zone read uh, RPO drag flat offense to Darren Fells and like it worked really well against Kansas City in that first matchup. Do you think they're going to run that again this year? And like, do you want to see Darren Fells have like a seven catch game against Kansas City as they kind of just like run the fast break against you know Damian Wilson on the outside? It that's such a hard question to answer because it's it's it worked well the first time around and then it was it was kind of like it had this curve it's like really good 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 okay 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 fair 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 poor trash crap Mm -hmm. is how it went like over the course of the year the player right and uh i if it i don't think they can go to it too many times but if they use it um strategically i think it'll be okay but man they can't they can't run that play five six times a game it was it turned into nothing because darren fells can't get his you can't get up field yeah yeah i think the key to that play too is to not have him sit in that same alignment every time like every time he was in the flex wing position it's like okay i know what we're doing here and uh and also just making sure to run that against kansas city's base defense because i do think one of the things kansas city will do this game when they see fells in the i think kansas City will play a lot of three safety sets potentially in this one, because Houston doesn't have that offensive line like you know last year that can continuously just move the line of scrimmage and win a game on their own through the rushing attack. And so I do think they're going to play some three safety sets. And so if Houston reserves that play for you know Kansas City's four three defense, I think it can work out here in well in shots. But it can't be like they can't run it like fifteen times that like they did in that first matchup though. Mm-hmm. No, that'll be a failure. And you damn well know Kansas City is going to be ready for it, too. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that happened that first matchup was Will Fuller, I think, dropped like three touchdown passes that game. Right. Uh, he right. dropped two for sure. And there was that third one where Watson put it on the on the outside shoulder because to throw the ball away from Matthew. And then Fuller turned the wrong way and couldn't you know, turn back for it. And so, like, Houston didn't you know throw the ball downfield like a lot that game. But instead, what they did is they really picked and chose their matchups. Um, are you like, I don't know. I kind of see the same game plan being used in that first matchup working compared to the second matchup where it was like, yeah, we're going to run the ball and now it's third and four and we have an incompletion. Oh, and now we're down 31, 24 and now we're down 41, 24. And now we need to throw the ball downfield to catch back up. But I get, I think like really kind of the key is like whenever they have single safety matchups, uh, deep is to use those, uh, use those chances to run play action and single guys out and then hope, you know, either cooks or fuller can beat. Rashad Benson or those matchups too. 
yeah, that's the best case scenario, I think. I, I think that you have to use this. You know, we've got great team speed. We're not Kansas City Chiefs team speed, but we're close. And we've got to use that team speed in order to do something. Because we, what we don't have anymore is we don't have a, unless you count around a Cobb, and I kind of don't, a, a true possession chain mover receiver. We don't have one like that right now. Randall Cobb had a comeback year last year because he was being schemed open yeah, consistently. Often. Because he had Cooper and Gallup on the outside, you know. Yep. Yep. So I, I just, I don't know if we see that sort of performance from Cobb this year. He's not fast. He, he was, but he's, you know, seriously slowed down as a pro. So um, I think we need to go, ultimately, we need to go vertical. We need to use the play action to be successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can. And like, I think I like the skeleton of this offense to me is, all right, well, whenever you have Cooks and Four on the outside, you're going to get two safety looks. And whenever you have that and you have safeties in the hash marks, it opens up the middle of the field for Cobb to run slants and, um, and for tight ends. And I'm really, hopefully, Kahali Waring, you know, and Jordan Aikens are the primary tight ends because Darren Fells isn't a seam receiver. He doesn't have the hands for it. He doesn't have the speed for it. But Waring and Aikens potentially do. And they can run deep posts and that sort of thing, take advantage of the middle of the field. And then whenever there's one safety deep, then that's whenever you open up the passing game for uh, Fuller and Cooks to catch stuff downfield as well. And so I really think the key is just like to understand where the safeties are and uh, and then take shots off of that. But it is hard doing against Kansas City, like we mentioned before. They have a great deep pass defense, and they're constantly rolling their safeties. Whatever you see pre-snap is going to be there after the snap. Um, you know, I, I do th- I will stand by the fact that like signing Tyron Matthew, the Houston's defense would have been a bad decision last year. And the way Kansas City employed Matthew was a lot different than the way Houston did in 2018 too as well. And so, um, but he's like, he's a really crafty, intelligent player and does a really great job at reading the quarterback's eyes and getting in spots where he's hard to be seen and popping up out of nowhere and making plays on the ball too, as well. So it's, uh, it really is like Kansas City's defense prevents, uh, provides like a bizarre set of circumstances for Houston's offense. Yeah. I think ultimately that's the big thing about Matthews was the usage. Cause he was not, he was not good for us. Yeah. I, you know, he wasn't, but he was. The second half of the season, he could do no wrong. He was mm-hmm. amazing. Well, and I think the biggest difference is like usage, like you mentioned. In 18, Houston had bad cornerback play, and so Romeo Cornell was stuck having to play him as a slot cornerback and that sort of thing. Instead of with Kansas City, where slot cornerback is one of you know the seven things he does in an NFL game, and uh, and Kansas City has really gotten the most out of him too. Um, so for Houston's offensive line, you know they kind of like the mo to beat the Chiefs is to you know control the control the clock, run the ball a lot, um, you know, destroy the line of scrimmage, take advantage of this bad run defense that they have, and then kind of hope and pray because the Kansas City Chiefs can score 21 points in a quarter like they did to Oakland last year, like they did in the Super Bowl last year as well too. Um, and then like really just like kind of hold on tight if you're able to get a lead. How do you think Houston's rushing attack is going to be this year? Like are you expecting David Johnson to get 250 carries and become Lamar Miller 2.0? And uh, do you think the run blocking is going to improve this year after it was kind of like kind of crappy last season? I, I do think if I do see an optimistic part of this team, that's not named Deshaun Watson. It is the offensive line because now they've got another year together. Mm-hmm. We've talked repeatedly. I mean, we've been doing this, this, this cast for years now talked about the importance of consistency on the offensive line. So I do see that as a positive. Um, uh, as far as David Johnson goes, I, I I think Lamar Miller is a far better running back at this point of their careers than David Johnson, even considering the injury history. So I, I don't I just don't see how David Johnson meshes well with this kind of offense if we're doing another version of Bill O'Brien's offense. 
he he can't he he doesn't accelerate well in the zone read. He's not a Carlos Hyde a gap kind of guy. I have very low expectations for what he gives us this year. That's carrying the ball. So I, I what I think is I think he's going to get us 200 carries and they're going to be very unproductive. 200 carries for like 700 yards kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, even like his Arizona film last year was, you know, it was really disheartening. Like he, like you mentioned, he didn't have the speed to get to the edge on straight zone plays. And like whenever he even had open rushing lanes in the interior, like he was unable to make like a linebacker miss. He was unable to make a safety miss at all. And he just kind of ran into him. And I don't know, he just also didn't run very hard either and went down after contact too easily too. So I'm not expecting much of him as a back. And even like you mentioned his pass catching stuff, a lot of his receptions were against bad linebackers like Nick Vigil or the Cardinals would run like four verticals with, you know, out of a, out of, you know, a one zero personnel. And then it's just like, oh, there's nobody 25 yards within him, and he's able to run straight forward for 40 yards. So I do think like the numbers and the efficiency numbers are kind of uh, wonky because of that. But I, I'm, it's also bizarre too because just like Duke Johnson's a better rusher, and he's a better pass catcher than David Johnson is. And so I hope they don't try to turn David Johnson and Carlos Hyde 2.0. But that's the only way the Texans have used their running back since Bill O'Brien's been the head coach. Yeah, I, I don't know how else you set expectations. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah, I mean, we're here. This is seventh year. I mean, I don't know how much people expect <laughs> to change in the seventh year. It's so weird, like to actually say that out loud, because like you check Pro Football Reference, you're like four, and then you actually say it's this is num- year number seven. And it doesn't seem real at all anymore. Um, but yeah, like I, 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 my offense. The thing about the offense line for me, the only thing, the biggest issue I see is like the right side's more built for power run schemes. Like Zach Fulton's not a good outside zone blocker. Tyus Howard can't block the outside zone. And the left side with Max Sharping, he's not strong enough for power run schemes. And hopefully he got strong enough this year after moving from tackle to guard and has the ability to kind of drive guys out of the hole and be more of a vertical pusher. But uh, like he's a much better zone blocker. And same thing with Nick Martin, too. And so like there's just a mismatch of styles between the left side and the right side of the line of scrimmage. And really, I'm just hoping like Houston figures out how they want to run the ball and stick to it. Because, you know, since Bill O'Brien's been the head coach, it's been like, yeah, we run 15 different rushing plays and we're not good at any of them, but we try to do everything a little bit. And they're not and like, you know, it just doesn't work out very well, especially with the new offensive line and everything else. So I'm interested to see if they're going to be like bad at everything or try to get really good at one thing, which is the kind of the best way to do with the situation they have. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's that's one thing going back to, you know, things you learn as you get older and Gary Kubiak taught me a lot about how to run an offense is that he lived and survived off that outside zone. And, and part of the reason he was able to do that. Well, number one, he had Arian Foster, which certainly didn't hurt, but it was a scheme that gave Foster the gaps and the holes. Mm -hmm. And he, then he lived off the play action. So he did one thing really, really well, the outside zone. And he did second thing really, really well, which is run play action. Mm-hmm. And so we've kind of seen that historically is when you give a team, you let a team focus and really concentrate on doing a couple things really, really well, instead of sort of scattershotting the strategy, then things work out a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. It's like, it's also like talent's more important than scheme. And, uh, and it's like, they about your scheme. It's like, you want to be able to run plays your guys are comfortable with doing and knowing exactly what the fit is and feel. And whenever you try to do everything, it doesn't really work out that well. I think Bill O'Brien can sometime, um, you'll know, be too smart for what like you know, your players are physically capable of too. So the, the other thing about this game offensively is that 
they're replacing DeAndre Hopkins. And so in the first two matchups, DeAndre Hopkins was absolutely spectacular. Uh, he combined those two games. He had 18 catches on 26 targets for under 73 yards. And most importantly, he had 12 first downs. I, his, his, uh, his stat line that first game was, will always be hilarious. Cause I think he had like 65 yards receiving on like eight catches or whatever. But I think seven of those catches were first downs where he just stood, stood as a slot receiver and ran slap routes and, and call like four yards passes on third and two consistently enough. So like, how are they going to replace him in this game? Like, how are they going to be able to get their continuous first down movement whenever it's, you know, third and six or third and 11, those sorts of situations? I, I don't know. I, I have no idea. I, you know, I see counter arguments that, oh, we couldn't pay Hopkins that much. Sure, we could have. Um, and also they didn't need we, to. He had three years left on his contract. Three years left on his contract. You know, this is all about egos. It wasn't mm-hmm. about contract. Um, and I'll, you can say the same thing about Clowney as well. This is about egos and not contract. Bill O'Brien kills us as a GM. I, he flat out kills, kills us. He's, he, he has certain stresses that he expects of his players, and that doesn't – being talented is not one of them. Mm-hmm. It's being a team guy. It's being – Yeah, know, the T doesn't stand for talent. It stands for tough. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I don't know how we replace that. And – when a guy is that valuable, like DeAndre Hopkins, I, you just don't, you just can't go, okay, well, Cobb's going to fill that role or, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Cooks is going to fill that role. You can't do that. That's not what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess the idea is to split it among everybody. Like, I do think like the way Cobbs and Fuller are going to get first downs is by you're using those deep cushions and running deep outs, deep curls, deep comebacks, those sort of things to create, you know, seven yard throws and soft man coverage. But those are hard throws to make sometimes. And then there's also like a lot of cool coverage things you can do to take advantage of those opportunities whenever you have a slot corner over there as well. Um, and then really, it's kind of, I think it, the backs have to be really great in pass and, and catching the ball too. And you know, hopefully they can get more than Darren Fellows running flat routes and quick little comebacks to be able to to get that as well. And so like, I mean, it's it's going to have to be spread out, but they're not going to have like a singular throw like that, we're just be like, oh yeah, DeAndre is running this deep dig and he sees his own coverage just here and is coming over and sitting at this spot. And they don't have a receiver who can jump up and catch a ball and get and then get hit in his side and then break his ribs before halftime and play in the second half. Like they don't have that sort of like warrior um, receiver who can continuously carry the passing offense. And that I think was kind of like the disheartening thing about this Cooks news, where it's like, yeah, he's a quad injury, he's not practicing. You know, who knows if he's going to play tomorrow? And I'm assuming he will, but it's like even to go into this game week one and have this sort of concern whenever with Hopkins is like, yeah, he's going to play. He's going to be ready. He's going to be spectacular. Yeah. And with Hopkins, you don't have the concussion history like mm-hmm. you do with Brandon cooks. You know? true. So th- there's a lot, there's a lot going on here about why that was you know, David Johnson and Brandon cooks for Deandre Hopkins. might've been a good trade in 2016, but it's yeah. not in 2020. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a great p- way to put it. Um, yeah, I don't like yeah, and even like adding Randall Cobb is a great decision in 2016, but not so in 2020. Um, and Rivers and I talked about that when we did the season preview podcast. Where like the biggest problem with Randall Cobb is he played 98 percent of his reps in the slot last year. Right. Like you're you're stuck. Like Cobb has to play here, and now you lose the chance where Cooks has been a better slot receiver. Will Fuller's been a better slot receiver. Kenny Stills has been a better slot receiver, and so you're stuck with um, Cobb in that spot too. Uh, so I like I do think like Houston offensively, I think they should be able to score, you know, 28 points or so. Um, and then if they they're actually able to hit and capitalize on some of those deep passes, 
you know, to Will Fuller that they missed last year, maybe they could bump him up to like, you know, the 35, 38 or so to actually make this a, a game where they'll have to be able to outscore Kansas City here because defensively, like I don't know what Houston does. In their first matchup, they gave up 24 points. They gave up 51 their second matchup. In the first game, they did force two turnovers that limited them. And he said that you know, ball control offense as well that limited how many opportunities Kansas City had to score. Um, so BFD, when Kansas City throws the ball, is there any coverage matchup that where they'll have the advantage for Houston? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't see. I mean, Kelsey's on track to play. That might have been the only thing. But we don't have, you know, Gary and Conley's not in there. And it's a stretch to say that he's a good or even average cornerback. He needs to do a lot more than he has. And I think mm-hmm. looking at a lot of tape. And he's, he's, and he's out this game too. And, and he's out. And, you know, looking at tape where he comes back and makes plays when he's been burned, that's kind of a stretch. That That's not a, a successful strategy, long-term strategy at least. And, uh, you know, Lonnie Johnson, hey, he worked with a footwork guy, but he was literally the worst cornerback in the NFL. I mean, like literally the worst. Mm-hmm. So where do we have good matchups that where they aren't named Justin Reed potentially? Yeah, I mean, and like even, I mean, I went back and watched every defensive game last year, right, about Justin Reed. And also, I kind of use that as a time, like, actually, after reading, like, a ton of stuff about, like, how coverages work, I use that as a time to kind of go through and, and actually um, supplement, like, everything that I was reading about uh, this previous summer about coverages. And, but, like, I mean, Houston did a lot of different things to be able to limit them. I think one of the things that they did was, um, they bracketed Tyree Kill, so Bradley Roby doesn't lock down Hill. You know, even though Hill didn't have like the gaudy numbers in their two matchups, they always kept the safety over the top. And so the first matchup that was Tayshawn Gibson, the second matchup that was Justin Reed. And so now you don't have Gibson, so now you lose the ability to put Reed on Travis Kelsey and have those situations available to you. Um, and then it's like, well, with Kelsey, I mean, Romeo Cornell, that second matchup tried everything. He tried Lion Johnson Jr. It didn't work. He tried Vernon Hargreaves. It didn't work. He tried double him with Lion Johnson Jr. and Vernon Hargreaves. That didn't work. He tried Justin Reed. That didn't work. And really, then the only thing they could have done was put you know, maybe Bradley Roby there. But now you're looking at like an eight-inch height advantage at that point, you know. So I don't. And then even on top of all that, you have Sammy Watkins, and you don't have Gary and Connolly there to cover him. So now you have Gary. You have you know Sammy Watkins against Vernon Hargreaves or Philip Gaines or Keon Crossan or um, or John Reed, like whoever else, you know. And so, and then you have Clyde Edwards Hilaire coming out of the backfield. God, and Zach Cunningham. That's a nightmare. He is Zach, a nightmare. Yeah, Sorry. and Zach, Zach Cunningham can't cover running backs like that. Like, if you go back and watch the video last year, it's just littered of plays where Cunningham's chasing like Alvin Kamara and then his skeleton falls out of his body, you know? And so that's a nightmare for him. It's a nightmare for Bernard Jim McKinney and always has been. And so, like, I don't like the only coverage matchup I like in Houston's favor is whenever Patrick Robinson drops a pass on third down. Because that's really <laughs> it, you know? They don't, and like, even they play a lot of zone coverage. Tyreek Hill has the speed to just run past it. And that's usually what they do against teams like the Chargers that play cover three, where it's just like, yeah, we're going to pass protect and we'll roll out, and Tyreek Hill will run uh, a dig route where he runs all the way across the field past, you know, two, past, past three defenders and get open on the sideline. And so that's the, that's the hard part about playing zone coverage, too. And he opens up so much underneath. But, yeah, I completely agree with you. There isn't a good matchup at all here for them coverage-wise. And the uh, the big difference maker, you know, is Mahomes and the fact that he what he can do uh, with the ball. You know, Mahomes and Watson, I think if you were to give – if you were to swap them out, if you were to put Patrick Mahomes under Bill O'Brien and Deshaun Watson under 
Andy Reid, I think we'd see similar outcomes as they've been successful because I think Reid is so much better at putting his players in a position to succeed. Mm-hmm. And and I just, you know, I dream about Deshaun Watson having like a, a Kyle Shanahan as an offensive coordinator. Yeah. Or, I mean, I guess like anybody who, who understands like my personal is this and, you know, this is a little bit better thing to do. And I guess that's kind of like the idea right now we may be looking at. It's, you know, we haven't seen any football games yet, but there's a lot of intrigue you know, surrounding Houston, at least this year. Um, the one thing I do think new defensive coordinator Anthony Weaver can do against Kansas City, because like a lot of this stuff where people who didn't like Cornell last year, you'd ask them, was like, well, what, what can he do differently? And they have zero answers. Be like, well, uh, don't play so much off-man coverage. It's like, well, then you end up in 2018 where you're constantly going to be deep and now you're giving up points and quick bursts. And now uh, you're having to catch up and come from behind the third and fourth quarter. And uh, the one thing that I do think Weaver can do against Kansas City that Cornell didn't do a very good job of in that second matchup especially, is just like disguising the coverages more. Like Houston kind of lined up and played what they were playing. And then the second half, they kind of moved things around and that sort of thing, but it still didn't really work. But I do think what Weaver can do is try to like give Mahomes uh, a look before the snap that isn't going to be the same after the snap, and then just kind of like pray the pass rush gets there, and you give him like, you know, four tenths more of a second that he's holding onto the ball. Yeah, but I mean, which teams in today's NFL aren't like discovering or disguising coverages like pre-snap? I mean, that's like a thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm just and, saying Cornell didn't do a very good job of it last year. Like you, my pre-snap, he'd show something. That's how they played it pretty much the entire snap, you know? Yeah. No, I get you, get what you're saying, but, I, you know, mm-hmm. this isn't like 1990. Yeah, it's not revolutionary stuff. Like, yeah, it's, it's scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not, this isn't like a, some some great new invention, you know, that I came up with, I came up with this summer. Uh, it's just something very simple that I, I kind of thought Cornell had kind of a blind spot in those Kansas City matchups. Uh, so their offensive line this year is Eric Fisher. They brought Kalecki Ozzamelli from the grave, which I'm so excited for after he had that weird situation in New York where he was hurt, but they didn't want to, they, didn't want him to have the surgery, and then he sat out and everything else. Uh, they have Austin Ryder at center, Andrew Wiley at right guard, and Mitchell Schwartz at right tackle. So where's the weakness on this offensive line you see from Kansas City, if they even have one? Um, I, I think they're fairly attackable still. I mean, Schwartz is his own thing. I mean, nobody's going to beat Schwartz. He's just such a beast. And I think LDT, uh, he's opted out, right? Renee Tardif. Yeah, he's out. So he's like Ozamelli took his spot. His took season. his spot. Yeah. So I, I think you, there's it's not it's definitely not a team strain. I would say that on the offensive line, I think they're very beatable. Yeah, it's one of the things with them where it's like on the interior is, a, is their biggest weakness. But you mean all last year they put like I mean they played everybody in the interior. They constantly roll guys in and out, and it was good the entire time, or at least competent. You know. Like, uh, you know, Ryder was a guy who was a backup who came in there. Same thing with Wiley. You know, Martinez Rankin played three games and starting at the hang of guard. And then, unfortunately, he uh, he got hurt, which really broke my heart. And he started the season on the pup list. And then they, they brought out uh, Stefan Wisniewski in, like, week 11 or whatever, you know, who played guard for the Eagles in their Super Bowl win, too. So, like, the interior is the weakest spot. You know, Eric Fisher is fine, but Eric Fisher is better than Wendy Merciless, you know. And then Mitchell Schwartz is you know, a dominant pass protection right tackle. And like, I'm just kind of hoping that they don't put Watt against Schwartz where it kind of negates him over there. Hopefully he gets more reps on the left side and they try to pick their battles in the interior to be able to get him some matchups um, against uh, Wiley, especially because that's probably their audience. Yeah. Against Wiley, especially because that's probably their weakest link here for the chiefs offensive line. And I think that's, you hit on what I think 
I'm going to be most interested in is what we're going to do in the secondary. It's going to be how do we use J.J. Watt? And is, is we were going to do different things with Watt because Watt, you know, we've talked about it repeatedly, you know, again, he was just lining up on the left side, you know, snap in, snap mm-hmm. out, you know, sometimes in kind of a wide nine kind of stance because that's where he was getting his best matchup supposedly, but it wasn't working against Mitchell Swartz because it won't. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be interesting to see what different things do we do with them? Are we going to move them around? Are we going to create different matchups? Is what is merciless going to go to the left side? Uh, I'm really, that's, that's my thing, baby. This yeah. for the defense. Yeah. I, I'm hoping, I mean, I really think like, I know the issue with, with laws, they don't like playing with the interior because of the shots he takes. And so it's going to be up to Weaver whenever they use him on the interior to give him like a four eye, and then to understand how like Kansas City slides their protections, and they may just slide everything over to Watt's side, you know, just to ensure that he doesn't have you know, both both gaps that he can rush through in those situations. Um, but the other thing also is just making sure to blitz five. And one of the things I would really like to see this game is see Bernard McKinney, you know, rush against the center, and even Blitzing. rush and rush oh as a defensive Sorry. end too. Like he had a really great blitz uh, against Kansas City last year as a defensive end. And like I do think if McKinney played in New England, he'd be like Dante Hightower, you know. He just oh, yeah. hasn't been used as a blitzer all that much since uh, the 2016 season. So I think that's another opportunity is just like getting five guys out there um, and then getting one, one versus one matchups, and especially on the interior, and just configuring your defense on the blitz to be able to get those one-on-one matchups like that. Look, McKinney is at what he is at this point of his career. He is a downhill thumper, period. Mm. Like there's no subtlety to him whatsoever anymore. Yeah, he, he creates mass graves to the line scrimmage. Yeah. So let's take advantage of that. You know, it's understand what you've got in your personnel and use it. You know, this is his this is his age twenty eight season. He's you know, he's not gonna get any quicker laterally. Yeah, and this is probably his last year too after the Cunningham extension as well. So yeah, get the most out of him. Toss him toss him against Austin Ryder like over and over again and limit the ability for the guards to get any help. I do think the other matchup that can be very helpful for Houston is uh, Charles Manehu on the interior. He had that really big uh, forced fumble in that first game of rushing as you know three technique. He almost sacked Mahomes in the red zone and forced incompletion um, in that second matchup as well too, like rushing as a as a you know four eye against the guard. And so like I do hopefully they're able hopefully they're able to get him out there more in pass rushes and uh, and hopefully like he's fresh and has the ability to play both the run and the pass this season instead of only being used as a like sub package interior rusher. Yeah, he's he's a guy. So when he came out, I was a lot higher on him than you were. And um, uh, I do think he does have some level of skill. I do think he was underdrafted for mm-hmm. sure. So it's going to be really interesting to see how he develops as a player. And I do think he's got reverse. I think he's good for four or five sacks a season. If he can be beyond that would be great. Yeah. Um, I think he's got the potential, but I, you know, he's getting, he's one of the guys, I don't know who's getting more hype, especially from Jordan these days. <laughs> it's Jacob Martin or Omen Yehu. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. He's well, man crushing both of them. Well, my thing with him though, coming out of like college was that how UT used him, like using him as like a, a wide defensive end and he had no bend. He had no like speed off the edge to be able to run like that. And so I didn't like him from that position, but what I didn't think about at all Whenever they draft him, it's like, well, he he has you know, good hands and he's big, and so maybe they can use him as an interior defensive end as a rusher like that. And he was great that last year. The only concern I have from this season, because he is going to start the opposite defensive end spot in base defenses, is that 
you know, coming in as a, as a fresh rusher like that, he can just bull rush and not have to worry about, you know, being tired or, you know, his legs being a little bit, you know, uh, uh, soggy at all. And so as a fresh bull rusher, he was able to use that move consistently, have success with it. And so who knows like how much production he's able to get from playing every snap like that. But I do think he's a complete, he is much better than I thought he was going to be. And he was using a role that I could, I didn't even really imagine him being able to play at all, uh, for the Houston Texans too. Yeah, but he had the occasional game at UT where he was playing inside and was was devastating. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't often. And you're right, they misused him. But you know, we had an I mean, awesome that's, that's inside. How, that's so. how you use a guy like that, though, and like yeah. at the college level, you know. And that's right. kind of the hard thing about that, you know, the NFL draft stuff. It's like you watch a guy do what he did in college, and then you extrapolate to the NFL, and then maybe he can play a different position, or maybe he can do something that you know you really don't even know. But the coaches who get paid, you know, millions of dollars. Of course, they're smarter than you know these things that you don't know. Um, the other question I have for you is, do you think Weaver can create front four pressure? Like, I think they're, the Texans' pass rush, you know, like in their diamond nickel stuff, is going to be Watt, Jacob Martin, Omanehu, and Merciless. Is that going to front four to create pressure without having a blitz consistently week in and week out, and even this game against Kansas City? I think unless Martin has a good matchup, I think the answer to that is really no. And it depends on, again, how fresh uh, Omanyahu is. But I just don't see that front four doing a whole lot by itself. The only guy who can win one-on-one consistently is J.J. Watt, and he's 31. Mm-hmm. So I just don't see – I'm not I'm not really optimistic about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like Martin's kind of the same situation that Omanyahu is in, where it's like, okay, he was great as being like this fastball that comes out of nowhere. Like, you know, he was like 104 miles per hour fastball coming off the edge, edge. And after like going against Merciless or going against Brendan Scarry, like, what was, what was that, you know? And, uh, but like, whenever tackles got their hands on him, he didn't really have an answer at all. And so maybe with the strength that he has, he has the ability to have an interior move. And I really think like if he can develop a long arm, uh, like on the inside shoulder, I think that's probably the best move that he can come up with, or even like a spin back inside as well, too. But it's been interesting to see if like as he plays more, if he still has that same burst. And then how much strength he has to have some sort of bull rush or inside move to take advantage of tackles, deep setting or getting quick and you're kind of being off balance to deal with the speed. Yeah, I mean, I love the guy. The guy's a lot of fun to watch and I get it. I get why, you know, people are really excited about him, but he's a small dude. He's Mm -hmm. he's not going to stand up against the run. He's he's going to be limited into this in the situations that you can put him in. And then you're expecting a lot from him to kind of live up to those expectations on a limited number of snaps. Yeah. Yeah. I think like the best player, the best comp, the best comp I could come for him if his career is perfect is Elvis Dumerville. But like, even then, like that's a, that's a really high, you know, mountain climb for, for him in this situation. Again, just like having the strength to deal with that sort of stuff. Yeah. Like Dante Fowler is a guy who's similar, but it's still much bigger than Jacob Martin still carries yeah. a lot more weight and, you know, it's it's he's just such a unique dude with this at his size. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Vic Beasley, you know, I guess it's kind yeah, of like Martin Beasley. where he's all like edge and bend, but Beasley was so like deep and meaningless. You know, like he's Whitney Merciless in that sense where everything's wide and looping over and over again, and you can kind of deal with it pretty well. Um, what are your expectations for Houston's run defense this season? Because DJ Reader's gone, and so I guess they're going to play, you know, Omanyehu in that spot defensive end as nose tackle. I guess they're going to play Brand Dunn there. Um, or do you think Houston's just like, yeah, it's, we just we just have enough faith in Bernard or McKinney and Zach Cunningham to make up for it that we should still at least be a good run defense this year? I think they're going to be solid. So Omanyahu's going to be a weakness. 
I yeah, mean, he's bad against pools, especially. You know, and, and he, yeah, and he does not, he cannot engage, or he cannot, you know, uh, that was what I'm looking for. He doesn't still go well at the point of attack. He gets mm-hmm. pushed off the off his uh, rush very easily. I think Blacklock is seriously going to have issues against the run. Um, but Whitney Merciless and J.J. Watt are incredible against the run still. I think they're going to still be a lead against the run. Then you have McKinney and uh, uh, Cunningham at linebacker. So I think we're going to still be above average against the rush. Yeah, I think it will be... Like, I'm hoping it'll be at least be good. You know, I do have some concerns just because of how incredible Reader was. Like he was third on the team at run stops last year, uh, playing <laughs> nose tackle, playing defensive end, and like Watt really didn't play the run that much last year. And there were so many plays where a guy would pull at him and he would just like, like kind of like back off and not take the hit and you know allow the run to be open up there. But I think it really is going to come down to Cunningham and and McKinney and like I think Blacklock to me is like I don't see him as a nose tackle. I see him more of as a as like a defensive end, a three four defense. You know where he has that leverage and everything else, but he weighs 290 and you can't have a nose tackle at 290 in a three, four defense. No. So in there, so my next question is like, do you think Kansas city is going to struggle stopping Clyde Edwards, Hilaire and Darrell Williams this game? Or do you think Kansas city is just going to kind of move the ball through the air at will? <laughs> here's, here's kind of what I see. And I'm just going to go by what Kansas city did last year is I think Kansas city is going to pick really poor times to run the ball. And they're going to be bad at it. And and because that was kind of their tendency last year is they get into second long situations and run the ball and fail. Um, if they've learned from that, they're going to be extremely dangerous. If they've learned from, you know, they're going to be able to run the ball against us. Williams is going to be able to. I guess what I'm trying to say is, is as long as they're smart against us and what they do and they're picking up on the packages that we're putting in and they run against the packages much mm-hmm. better than they did last year, I think they'll have much more success. I think it's where they really failed last year is they weren't doing a good job on the package matchup, package matchups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and their interior run blocking was crappy last year too. You know, like they just didn't move anybody at all. They were good in pass. They were you know, adequate enough in pass protection when you have Patrick, and it's kind of funny, like we're doing this entire show, we really haven't even, we really haven't even talked about Patrick Mahomes at all. Um, but like with all the interior pass protection, they were good, and they were good picking up blitzes. But in the run game, they just couldn't get any vertical movement, you know. And so I think they're hoping, and I, I love Kalecki Osmelli, and it's been sad to not see him for you know four years or so. And so I think they're really hoping that he can be that mauler and actually create that movement at the last scrimmage that they really have needed in the last two seasons or so. Yeah, because it's a light offensive line, especially with Tardif not there. They're very light. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's what they are at this point. They're just there to protect Mahomes and not really do anything on the ground. Yeah, which is kind of the only thing that matters. Uh, so next, I mean, I guess it, it depends on what your offense is, you know. Like San Francisco and Baltimore are a little bit different. So our first question is from Carlos Flores. Uh, everybody knows him. Friend of the show, right at the, right at the website. He asks, how many touchdowns do you see Clyde Edwards-Hilaire having against us tomorrow night? I think he could easily have to. I just, he is just, he is nightmare fuel. Yeah. He kind of reminds me of like, I don't know, maybe if Steve Sproles had a bigger butt and was like two inches taller. <laughs> but yeah, like I, and even the other thing too, I was thinking about in that for that second game, they put Jacob Martin in coverage against Damian Williams and gave a touchdown immediately. And I really hope Anthony Weaver doesn't try to do that where it's like, well, Martin's faster than McKinney and Cunningham, so he can cover running backs, you know, And because uh, he wasn't good at it last year, really didn't have any feel for it. I know in his pressers that 
you know, Rivers post, um, he did mention the fact that he likes that Martin is good in coverage or whatever when, you know, that wasn't the case last year at all. Yeah. And I just took, a, I had to take a look. Martin is 6'2", 242. That's a yeah. small dude. That's a small dude. I think he got, I think he said, I don't know. I can't remember what weight he said he got up to this year. I know he said he gained 20 pounds this season, though. Maybe he went Jeez. from 220 to 240, but yeah, he said he gained 20 pounds. Jeez. I mean, so, so do, do you lose your explosiveness? You go all Juan Gonzalez, I mean, uh, uh, Ruben Sierra, and lose your flexibility when you do that. I yeah, hope not. Maybe so. I mean, he's still pretty young, though. Like, yeah, I think he's 25 or so. 24, yeah. Yeah, so he still hasn't, isn't like his, I guess, his peak of his athleticism just yet. Um, so in the previous games that Houston played, you know, weird things happened for Houston to win that first matchup and go up 24-0 in that second matchup. You know, Omanyehu, like we mentioned earlier, had that strip sack in Kansas City's red zone and their own red zone that led to a touchdown. Gibson caught that touch, caught the interception in Houston's end zone. That was a really bizarre, just like toss up throw from Patrick Mahomes that you never see from him at all. Kenny Stills called a fake screen touchdown. Barcavis Mingo blocked a pine and Lion Johnson Jr. recovered it for a touchdown and ran into the tunnel afterwards with that. And yeah, the Jadavian Klein trade was good for one specific incident time and then <laughs> quickly all that evaporated. And Tyreek Hill muffed a punt that led to a Houston touchdown after a quick, you know, pick and pop pass to Darren Fells. So like what how many things would need to happen for Houston in this game tomorrow? Like how many like insane wonky things would have to occur? I think we'd need three. I really do. I think that we would need uh, Lady Luck quite a bit in order to win the game tomorrow because I just don't see how that defense can remotely match up against what the Chiefs are going to throw against us. I just don't see us. And it's going to kill us all year. It's going to mm-hmm. just we're, – we're going to lament it. We're going to see the offense is going to – I mean, if it goes the way I think it is, we're going to see that defense give up a lot of points. The offense has to put it in gear and stop A-gapping David Johnson, and we lose a lot of games like – 34 to 28 kind of thing. Yeah. And, and that was kind of how the 2017 season worked, you know, where they would, they had this great vertical passing attack and then Watson's in the sideline, the defense blows it, you know, because they're playing cover four and can't stop anybody. And because they didn't have the cornerback talent, you know, and so I could see, that's why I, I think they're going to lose, they're, they're going to lose those games. They won last year, where they went, you know, nine, three, one score games in the postseason included. Uh, they're going to lose more of those close games because of the past defense kind of blowing it this season. Yeah, and how this team, we talk about it every year, how this team wins so many one-score games is amazing. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Just, it's just off the charts crazy. Yeah, I don't know what Bill O'Brien has has figured out regarding that, but they're the only year that they were bad at it was 17, and now in like 14 they were 500 with Ryan Fitzpatrick, so I'm not sure what he's been able to figure out. But I do think Houston for sure has to win the turnover differential this game. Um, and then like also score touchdowns, not kick field goals on fourth and one. Uh, don't try the fake punt, you know, while you're smiling and Justin Reed's mosing around the backfield, you know, and like they can't make any mistakes. Like Houston's not set up against Kansas City making mistakes like that. And like, I know I just don't, and also like talent wise, like I don't see Houston in the same realm as Baltimore and Kansas City. And so whenever they play against teams like that, you know, they're going to have to win the tur- turnover differential Watson's have to be spectacular, and you know some breaks are gonna have to happen as well too. Uh, so, what's your prediction for tomorrow night's game? Oh, crud! I forgot what I said. I had a pretty bad score on it, but did we publish our predictions yet? Uh, yeah, we sent that email over. I think I had them losing 41-36, where I think like Kansas City goes up like 14 plus points or so, and then 
Houston scores enough points in the second half to make it look closer. Kind of like that game they played in uh, in Watson's rookie year where he did the behind the back, you know, dodge the sack, you know, deep throw <laughs> touchdown. And so I can see that sort of thing happen where the offense opens up more. Well, whenever Kansas City's up big and maybe they're not, you know, playing as hard defensively at that point. Oh, that's right. I, I said 45 to 24 because I think we're going to come out trying to run the ball, trying to keep the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands, and then we're going to fail spectacularly at it and just fall too far behind. Yeah, and I, and I do think, like, whenever the game first starts, that's not the worst way to go about this game because that's how they won the first time. And you, know, you mentioned attacking their linebackers and the fact they have a bad run defense. But the problem is that whenever you fall behind 7 or 10 or 14, like, what do you do at that point? And so it's going to be if they play like that, they're going to have to be the horse that comes out of the gate and doesn't give up the lead all the, the entire uh, the entire race. And so I am, I think like they should probably start off like that maybe in the first quarter. And as long as the game is closer, they have a lead stick to it. And then in, if they start to lose, then go kind of five wide receiver sets and hope your pass protection can lock down um, Chris Jones and Frank Clark and Alex Okafer and Taco Charlton, however much he plays on, on Thursday night. Right. <laughs> um, so we have a few listener questions tonight. The first one's from, at, from Carlos Flores, and he asked, BFD, when I win the fantasy football league this year, how deep do I need to clean the jacket since you had it last? Well, see, okay, so there, there's like layers that we need to we need to devote thought to. So first, Dunsmore with ranch dressing everywhere. Then, of course, my layer of corn oil. And we're going to have no idea what Sam's going to do to it. And I hope she parties in it big. So, you know, I would just expect that if you want it clean, you're going to have to spend a lot of dough, baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully you uh, have it nice enough for Sam. So... She only needs to put in the washing machine once to be able to enjoy it this year. Sam, Sam is like, I don't know, Sam's like 5'2", like 100, maybe 100 pounds. She's she's small. Yeah. And then we bought the jacket for Dunsmore. And so which I'm is, pretty which sure. rocks. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I'm pretty sure she can use the, the jacket as a tent, really. Yeah. Well, hey, that's good, too. It's going to be camping weather pretty soon. Maybe she lost maples or something, take it out there. But hopefully she only needs to put in the washing machine once. Um, the next question was from Exile in Texas. What is the most 2020 thing Bob will do this season? Oh, God. Resign Alfred Blue. It could happen. It could, <laughs> could happen. happen. He's out there. I'm surprised Jacksonville didn't, you know. That's hey. what, that, because that, that's me. <laughs> if we're just going to burn stuff down. Resigning Alfred Blue is like my football equivalent of that. Yeah, I can see it. Like, imagine what injury happens, you know, and it's like, okay, something happens to David Johnson and Buddy Hal. Right. Oh, God, is that Alfred Blue's music? You know, it's kind of funny if you look at Le'Veon Bell stats last year. He really had like an Alfred Blue score season, and I really felt bad for him watching uh, how bad the offensive line was. Next question is from uh, Smooth Grandma. Get BFD to describe in detail how to prepare his favorite Asian dish recipe. So, so I'm going to go back to, I'm going to go back to just have the basics, garlic, ginger, lemongrass, limes, kefir, lime leaves, have the basics and you can do so much. Coconut milk is another one. You have the basics ready and you can do so many dangerous things. So I'm not going to go back, you know, I'm not going to really talk about, you know, making Tom Carr or something like that. But, but if you like, um, it's Friday last week. <clears throat> wow, really? Yeah, it was Friday. 
<laughs> like I, I have some raw, I have raw deveined shrimp in my uh-huh. freezer. And so what I did was um, I made, I made a, a coconut soup with, with shrimp and broccoli and in like less than 20 minutes. And it had just a ton of garlic and a ton of uh, uh, ginger. And I have some, my ploy uh, green curry. As long as you fry the green curry and you release all the smells, all those aromas, that's the key. So if you have like the basics on hand, you can do so many things. And I guarantee you, you can't go get better soup in the city of Austin than what I made last Friday in 20 minutes. Yeah. Well, maybe I have to come over sometime this year. You can make me some soup and we can sit on the couch six feet apart. I'll try not to spin your mouth too much, you know. That's right. You take up the entire living room. I don't know how we can be six feet apart when you take just you know hover over us like you do <laughs> uh, the next question is from steph stradley at steph stradley everybody knows good old stuff uh, she asked one of the chiefs radio guys concerns from her her game preview was that changes on texans offense and defense and without a preseason making it harder for the texans to prepare for so like, how much of an impact do you think not having a preseason and houston having to make all these changes you know one year without having that how much of an impact do you think that's going to make on week one for a Houston team that has this much roster turnover and maybe this much ideology turnover compared to a Kansas City team that's been playing football like this for the last three years? I think that's a great concern. I, I just, they haven't played a preseason game. They haven't played against, you know, other people. This is going to be a fascinating offseason or fascinating season for a lot of reasons. That's one of them is that how are they going to overcome like not being able to gel before the season starts? Mm-hmm. I think what we're going to see is we're going to see teams that were successful last year are going to be successful this year. And there's not going to be that, you know, that kind of worst to first kind of thing that we sometimes see in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, also like historically too, the chiefs are always great right away. Like what they did at Jacksonville last year, what they did in new England, I guess in 2017, um, they started off like really spectacular and uh, Mahomes like quote unquote rookie year there in Kansas city too. And like Reed is always also like known to be really great after a bye week. And, you know, what is the next season if not a really long bye week as well? But yeah, I can I can see that playing a big part in this game. And and uh, my prediction I kind of wrote about that as well too, about Kansas City always kind of starts off really well compared to Houston that you know, need some time sometimes to you know, figure themselves out, whether it's an entire half of a football game or uh, you know, five weeks of the NFL season. Yeah. So the last question we have from tonight is uh, from at your mom. And he asked, does Jacob Martin appreciate beans the way only Weston can? And I, I don't think so. I've never met anybody who enjoys a good batch of beans like I do. My wife. That's about it. Oh, really? Well, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she's Miss Beanie. I was embarrassed. I was uh, hanging out with a friend of mine. I hung out with her like last summer when I was the few for friends to a concert. And her friend was telling her that there was beans in the backseat. And apparently I had some dried pinto beans in one of my pockets from cooking or God knows what. <laughs> and they fell in my pocket or in the backseat of her car. And I felt so embarrassed and so stupid and so very dumb to just be dropping you know, dried pinto beans in a stranger's car like that. Kinky, bro. Yeah. Kinky. yeah. I don't know. I felt very dumb at that moment. But yeah, I mean, you know, beans, you get protein, you get carbs, you get a full belly. It's warm. You can make it spicy. So there's nothing better, you know. You get roughage. It's great. <laughs> That's one of the very few things about the desert, or one of the, one of the things about the desert that I've carried with me is an enjoyment for beans, you know. Um. So, anyways, that's our show for tonight. Make sure to like, 
live, <laughs> laugh, subscribe, kiss, fondle, caress the podcast. Uh, if you enjoy it, tell your friends and family, tell everybody you know and love to listen to the podcast as well as we keep this thing rolling for the 2020 season after coming in hot this summer. It was a lot of hot podcasts this summer and the season doesn't start really kind of until Sunday. So you have an entire AFC South preview you can go back and listen to. Uh, you have some AFC and NFC predictions you can listen to as well. And then we'll be back on tomorrow night. Sally BFD has to, has to, you know, run some errands Friday morning. And so he won't be here tomorrow night, but I think at least Carlos or somebody else will be here to review the Texans podcast for your Friday morning commute, which is, I guess, like going from your office to your kitchen to make, you know, coffee in the morning. And so you'll have a, a Texans Chiefs review podcast for that as well. Stupid European clients wanting me to be up early. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. wait, one of, one of them actually follows me on, on Twitter and he doesn't know it. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Well, Maybe he'll listen to the podcast this week. He does. Um, he listens to the cast. Oh, awesome. We'll tell him, hey, how are you doing? I hope you're doing great. I'm glad you listened to the podcast. It's hilarious. He he listens, he follows and he listens and he doesn't know that he's one of my clients. It's great. Well, cool, cool. <laughs> uh, so until next time, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Red Radio. Thank you for being on BFD. And uh, let's play some football. Not us, Woo! but they, let, how about they play some football and we'll watch it and enjoy it. And, uh, See how long it lasts, you know.